But I think the things that I have been surprised to see rise up is to see the, the people that are contending still for the gospel and contending still for hope. And not light, easy, like painted on a picture at Hobby Lobby kind of hope, but the kind of hope that is grieved, the kind of hope that has sat at hospital beds and mm. polling stations and riots and continued to pray, continued mm. to speak about goodness and flourishing and shalom and peacemaking instead of just peacekeeping. Those things have muscles and teeth and guts now in a way that I don't know that I understood when it was all theory in my head. Mm. I mean, you can live the gospel really beautifully in your brain. Yeah. And oftentimes it isn't until these apocalyptic moments that you realize, what does it mean to embody this? Before we get going, a small ad break. Bear with me. I'll be right back. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am Seth. Really appreciative and thankful at the moment. So last episode, I had said, hey, we have a goal of getting 1% of the listeners to support the show in some form or way. And a few of you answered that call, and I'm so very thankful to people like Car Cody, Christian Roof, and Kathy Norman. It is people like you that make this show go. And I am so very, very, very thankful. You should join them and, and also support the show if you're able. And if you're not, I know that that's a thing and stressful for some people. I want you to feel no obligation to do so. I'm just glad that you're here and listening. So if there's something that has been pressure cooking amongst many of us this past year, I think it is just stress, right? We're all worked to the bone or we're not working at all and that's adding stress. School is crazy because of COVID. People are finding new rhythms. Daycare workers are doing things that they were never hired to do. School teachers doing things they were never hired to do. I'm doing things. You're doing things that we were never prepared to do. Though I do find it amazing that for the most part, we always pick up the call and we always do what needs to be done for the most part. But something that has fallen away, at least for many people, is a practice of prayer, I think. Not a petitionary, God, we need you to do this prayer, but a prayer intended as a meditation to help each other learn to grieve and lament and cry out, to help fix things that we feel are broken. That matters. So brought on Sarah Bessie. Sarah Bessie um, has collated a bunch of prayers from many beautiful people that have written words with such grace and such compassion and also such rage and just such emotion. It is an amazing compilation. It's a very, very good book. For those of you on the Patreon level for a book, um, it's this month's book and it should be mailed out on Monday, I think. I really hope that you enjoy it. So let's get going. Sarah Bessie, how are you this evening, afternoon? It's six there. That's evening. How are you tonight? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks. <laughs> but I don't have to do the time zone part of this, but that's good. <laughs> uh, well, no, I, yeah, you are in a time zone. We're all in a time zone. Mm -hmm. um, oddly oh, enough, I'm just not translating for you. Almost every episode that I record is done at about this time. 
it's the only time that I can record things where humans are asleep and there's no one screaming, yelling, entering the room. You know. <laughs> very well. I definitely <laughs> so, know very well. <laughs> we, so, have, we have four four kids and two cats. This is a great time. <laughs> there's been a few that I've had to postpone, like, hey, we're not done with COVID homework, so can we push it a half hour? Because we're really struggling with fractions at the moment, and we have to get this done. And everyone, for the oh. most part, is like, I get it. Let me know when you're ready. <laughs> so <laughs> Absolutely. I usually tap out on math in about grade two. So if, if, you, may, if you manage to get to fractions and you're still helping, I'm impressed. Well, so I, I work at a bank for a living and um, I tutored math in college. Math is my jam. Oh, English, okay. not so much. I struggle with all of it. I can, I can ramble audibly, but I can't write anything. Anyway, not while you're here. What is, who is Sarah Bessie? I can't think that most people don't know who you are, but on the off chance that there are 14 people listening, they're like, okay, well, who is Sarah? What is that? Who, who, how, whatever you want to say with that. See, told you I struggle with the words. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I guess we'll start with existential questions. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm a writer. I guess that's probably the main way that most people would know uh, who I am, if they've came, come across that in any way. My first book was called Jesus Feminist. Um, and that came out to complete and total welcome and rainbows and cupcakes and unicorns uh, back in 2013. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then my second book was called Out of Sorts, Making Peace with an Evolving Faith. And that was um, kind of my way of leaving the light on for people who find themselves wandering or questioning their faith. Um, which ended up actually giving rise to the evolving faith mm-hmm. uh, community that I um, co-created and co-led with my uh, friend Rachel Held Evans, yeah. um, who passed away uh, um, in 2019, um, and then written another couple books since then. Uh, I live in Canada, married for 20 years, four kids, all that good stuff. Four. Um, I think that's about it. Four. That's four. insane. That's insane. <laughs> They range in age from kindergarten to high school. And let me tell you, there are some big feelings in this house sometimes. Uh, Four, (laughs) golly. Usually mine. So you're in it for the next 20 years. Like you're, you're in this, you're here for this. Yeah. (laughs) I was saying that even because our youngest, uh, we had our first three and four years. Mm -hmm. And then we had one last little baby I could make a fool of myself over. And she finally went into kindergarten this year. And I said to my husband, I was like, this is the first time in 15 years I have not had a baby or a toddler home mm. with me. I can actually like work for the day. It's you want to really do it again? You want to get a fifth one? <laughs> fill the void? I'm too old and tired. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't normally start with existential questions then in the podcast? Now they're usually easier than that? No, of course not. This is this is the good stuff. <laughs> well, we'll end with another one. I've ended with the same question accidentally last year, and then I just carried that over into this year because honestly, I really enjoyed that accident. But we'll get there here in a little bit. So you have shepherded, is that the best word? A book on prayer? Shepherded maybe? Edited, I just don't really like because oh. I feel like I don't like that word at all really. Probably because again, I don't like grammar. So I don't know if shepherded is the right word, but tell me a bit about that why that you felt like that was needed, especially because prayer is means 87 things to 96 different people. So what's a bit about that? No, you're, you're exactly right. I think that's part of why I wanted to write about prayer is and why I wanted to have it be something that was more collaborative. 
because I don't know how helpful it is to create like a template Mm -hmm. for prayer or to say, you know, I think particularly for the people that I had in mind when I was working on it, which was a lot of folks who have found themselves very um, disenchanted with their religion, very much like they've lost their old pathways towards prayer or the ways that maybe they'd understood it or had it taught to them or, um, you know, some maybe even just had a very narrow definition of what it meant to pray or what it looked like. And so instead of saying like, well, here's how I pray here, go follow these three steps and away we go. I wanted to kind of create almost like a prayer circle, which is something that makes room for however we come to that space and have room for all the different ways that we pray. And for me, that meant having these leaders whose prayers I often rest in, whose leadership I often rest in. I mentioned Rachel when we were having my first existential question. And this was the project I started working on in the immediate aftermath of losing her because I felt like I needed to remember Mm. how to pray again. I wanted to rest in these sorts of prayers. I needed some people who would, you know, rage and cry and declare and make room for silence and grief, as well as hope and possibility and healing in the midst of all of this too. And so in a lot of ways, it was as transformative for me, I think, as what I'm hoping it will be for other people who read it too. Can I, I want to be honest about one thing. When I read the word prayer circle, the first thing that came to mind was popcorn prayer. And maybe I'm dating (laughs) myself. Like, are you familiar with that analogy. I feel like I have heard it from a lot of American evangelicals and I have a vague idea of what it is. And it seems like there's some trauma. (laughs) It's effectively everybody, you know, gets in a circle, bows their head. And then um, we're not leaving until everybody prays, but you just kind of go in order to order, just, you know, just pop off when you feel led. So is there, yeah, how does, is there an equivalency to that when you're shepherding a book of all these (laughs) other authors of prayer or no? That was the first thing that popped into my mind. I don't think so. (laughs) No, I think I was thinking of, so I grew up in Western Canada and my parents are first generation Christians. Mm. And so I don't, didn't have a whole lot of baggage around church. And then plus, of course, growing up in more post, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) We grew up in churches that were really quite small and in a kind of a post-Christian context. And so a lot of us were really new to faith And when people told us we were supposed to pray, we were just like, great, that's what we're going to do, right? And so I think that in a lot of ways for me, when I thought of prayer circles, I thought of um, sitting with people who really love Jesus and all the different ways that we often prayed together, which meant sometimes you would have some of the, you know, kooky stuff come up or things that made you uncomfortable. But then other times someone would lay their hands on your head and you would feel the Holy Spirit. And I think having a sense of community around prayer was really important to me, um, mainly because it has been a very communal thing for me. And I love to pray with and for people. And I think having to translate that relation that in a book is hard. But I think that the leaders and the thinkers and the writers who showed up on those pages made that space. It was really quite remarkable what they did. Can we talk a bit about some of the prayers? And I'll be honest, I have for weeks bounced back and forth. It's always hard when I talk to people that have edited a book instead of writing the entire book, because I feel like you're always giving your opinion on someone else's writings, um, which isn't really fair to you. At least I don't think that it is. Maybe it is. But I'm I'm, I'm curious. So I'm going to I'm going to start with some of the prayers that you wrote, because I feel like that's a little safer for me and I'm a little more comfortable with that. Maybe. (laughs) maybe. So um, you have a prayer in there on breath and I forget exactly the title of it. Like it's right towards the ending 
of the beginning mm-hmm. of the first subsection of orientation, I think. It's like ancient breath nice. or something like that. And again, that's from memory because I can't figure out how to make my phone go back to the bookmarks that I bookmarked, which is <laughs> uh, really frustrating. I found it. My actual <laughs> manuscript here because I don't have an actual physical copy of the book yet. <laughs> Isn't it out in a few weeks? Is it, it is, but you know what? The borders and shipping and post offices and things right now, right? So, <laughs> so, anyway, I've got like the actual literal manuscript. So that's, I'm with you. I'm tracking that's with you. That's <laughs> insane. So a bit about a bit about that. So what is that? Like like you say like breath prayer is an ancient form of prayer. And so what do you mean when you say breath prayer? Because for me that's foreign. Like the type of prayer that mm-hmm. I grew up with is strictly petitionary marginally prosperity. That's not the type of prayer that I do now. But for those that are listening, like, what is breath prayer? What do you mean? Breath prayer was something that I learned about um, a few years ago, I think, when I lost a lot of the old pathways of prayer. And I think that, you know, we maybe have some overlap there because the faith tradition that we ended up finding ourselves in was very influenced by prosperity gospel, word of faith kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. very name it and claim it kind of stuff, right? Absolutely. Which doesn't give you any baggage about prayer at all. So I think that when I found different pathways towards prayer, like breath prayer, it was an exhale for me, Mm -hmm. literally and figuratively. Um, it moved me from having to fill silence with words to letting the silence fill me a bit more. And so oftentimes, you know, I, I give a few examples, you know, on those pages of, of different ones. You don't usually go through all of them, you know, all at once. Usually I'll pick just, you know, one inhale and one exhale and sit with it just for a few moments. You know, like the first one we had here was like, humble and gentle one, you're a rest for my soul. And just kind of almost sitting in that space that those carve out for me. I almost always pull them from scripture. So if I'm reading something in the scripture and I see something that really calls to me or, or really speaks to me, I'll try to create a breath prayer out of it and then sit with it that evening or that morning. In a lot of ways, I think that it has carved out space for the conversation with God for me, as opposed to um, feeling like it's just one way, <laughs> you know, talking. Yeah. And it also calms. I find it very calming and very centering in a lot of ways, is it centers me not necessarily on my own self, but on the nature and character um, of God, even on what I hope about God. Mm. And, uh, and even that could be a form of healing. It took me halfway through the book to realize that I don't believe there are any male voiced prayers in the book. I think that that's correct. Correct. Every, every, every prayer author is, is female. Yeah. So I don't really care the reasoning behind that. And I'll tell you why have enough of that in my life and so i always find it very helpful to have female voices and i often hear god more when women preach because it's a different perspective so thank you for that i found myself off put at the amount of rage in many of these prayers at least it feels that way like um there's one on prayer like a weary again the name escapes maybe prayer for weary black woman I, maybe that's the name of maybe it's not there's like a prayer for the tired angry ones like there's just a lot of rage. Can you speak to a bit of that about maybe why that's okay? Because I think a lot of people have been told you're not allowed to yell or scream at anybody but humans and kind of maybe why that's cathartic and maybe why that's healthy when we pray. Yeah, I, you know, we, we, there was a moment, 
of putting together this book where I knew that I wanted for people to have the permission to bring their whole self to prayer. That there is not this sense of you don't have to pretend not to be as angry as you are, or you don't have to pretend not to be as tired as you are. And I think that for a number of people during these last few years that have felt a particular sort of apocalypse, right? A particular sort of unveiling, especially for, you know, a number of the folks who are in the book, for the unveiling that has happened, whether it's about, um, you know, sexual abuse in the church, whether it's about um, uh, Black Lives Matter, whether it has been political, there is, all of these things are, we're all carrying these things. And I think pretending that we don't bring them to prayer doesn't do anybody any, any good or service. I think sometimes we forget that the scriptures are way more honest about prayer than we are. Mm. And what I saw oftentimes in prayers like that were Psalms. I saw the cry of David's heart. I saw the tired and weary ones in scripture that God makes room for. And I think is very tender towards there's this um, beautiful image in Isaiah that talks about how a bruised reed, he will not break. And I think that a lot of us are coming to prayer right now, feeling very bruised. And so having someone name and articulate that, even if, maybe the experience that brought them to those words are not identical to your own. It gives you permission then to have those conversations with God, to have honest conversations with God. You know, like you're like, you talk about how, you know, can you say this in church? Can you say this to God? Mm. I think is, is maybe even what a lot of these folks are asking and saying, yeah, you know what you can and you should. Yeah. I tell friends often if, if there's something that you cannot voice to whatever God it is you worship, it was definitely not worthy of your worship and adoration to begin with. Like, that's just too small of a God. Though, I have been trying to figure out better ways to say that. Um, maybe you know, because you're a writer. Maybe not. The idea of a huge, overpowering, massive God sometimes is triggering for people that were oppressed by a huge, overpowering, masculine uh, figure. And I haven't figured it out yet. And until someone told me, I was like, I never considered that. And that's, that's real. But that's not why you came on. So wrestling with these prayers over the last, you said, so you've been collecting these since Rachel passed away, which was yeah, fall, so if I remember right. Wasn't it fall? It's been, it's been a while. Uh, no, she, uh, she passed away in May of 2019. May. Okay. So I started working on this and I think the month or two afterwards. Yeah. Cause we were originally were planning on this coming out in September of 2020. Mm. Um, and then the pandemic hit and everything kind of got pushed back. And now all of a sudden it feels incredibly relevant for right now. Yes. So it seems like that was okay, but yeah, it was what, a long road. What has changed for your faith wrestling with these different prayers for so long? And I have to assume in editing them that you're reading them constantly, possibly praying them constantly. Like what has changed for you mm-hmm. as a human where you're like, yeah, that, that didn't connect when I read it a year ago, but this is what I needed for today. Or is that even like, what, what is, what is anything happened like that? Yeah, there's been a number of prayers within these, within here that have actually become um, almost like a faithful companion Hmm. um, in my own prayer life. Words or lines will kind of rise up for me, you know, over and over again. Um, You know, Nadia Boltz Weber's prayer in there, she says, you know, dear God, help me not be an asshole is about as much prayer as I can manage sometimes. (laughs) You'd be surprised how relevant that is on a daily basis. (laughs) (laughs) And there's, you know, there's so many other ones, you know, Michael Boyette's prayer against efficiency, 
Mm. you know, about mm. learning how to slow down and slowing down to the pace of God. Uh, even the practices and liturgies, which is not something that was maybe my own tradition has become something that I've really grown to love, incorporating like the examine and breath prayers, like we talked about earlier, that sort of thing, poetry. There's just a, a lot of different ways that the prayers have connected with me and stayed with me. There's some lines from Barbara Brown Taylor's in particular um, about approaching the mountain, mm-hmm. like God as mountain in prayer. I should actually find it in exact words. I don't want to butcher Barbara Brown Taylor's words. <laughs> She's really kind. I don't even think she would care. She's so kind. I know. She is an incredible, <laughs> wonderful person. But... The last time I talked to her, I think she offered me chickens. She said she was overrun with chickens. She was like, come and get one. <laughs> that story that story checks out. Here it is. The longer I have known you, the more I have lost sight of you, which is not as bad as it sounds. We're so close now that I can't imagine you with giant ears, white eyebrows over golden eyes. There would have to be more distance between us for that. We are so close now that you come to me as breath, pulse, wind, sap, the steady humming current that weds all living things. Imagine a mountain, I say to those who want to go there. Mm. One so familiar, you can see it with your eyes closed. Mm. Like that has just stayed with me. Imagine a mountain that's so clear to you, you can see it with your eyes closed. Yeah, That's just a beautiful way of understanding prayer and conversation that stayed with me. Yeah, there's there's a lot in, in these uh, these words. I feel really, really lucky <laughs> to be able to, that I've had like a year with them. And now that <laughs> I get to kind of share them with people, yeah. it's like, look, look at what this has done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's that time. I have to try to pay the bills. Be right back after this small break. There is a line in actually Nadia's prayer that struck me and I have come back to it quite a bit. So there's a line, she says, bless the things we mistakenly think are already dead, which is right after a couple paragraphs after the Luke, uh, you know, scripture that she has woven in there. So I'm curious, what for you as a conscientious observer, and, you know, you have a lot of conversations with a lot of people and, you know, you're in contact with life. What do you think that we as a church or we as a people uh, maybe have written off as already dead, that if we could possibly spend some time in prayer would motivate us to action that would actually come to life, which honestly is the gospel. How amazing would that be? But just curious your thoughts on that. That's a really good question. I I know you have a lot of really interesting conversations, so I might like to hear your answer to that too. So hang on to that one. <laughs> That's not how this works. That's not how this works. Oh, rats. Um, <laughs> You know, I think that that's one of the things that I have really felt very acutely maybe during this time is, you know, I mentioned earlier, like apocalypse, mm-hmm. right, which is a big, scary word, especially for, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks who maybe have, you know, tent revival, you know, <laughs> sort of thing, memories or things going on. But the real meaning of the word apocalypse is unveiling, mm-hmm. right? It's a, it's a revelation. It's a revealing. I think it's the sense that this is where we've been, that we've been revealed. And it can feel like dying to be that undone. You know, we've seen, I think, the aspects of the church that maybe should die, that we can let go. We can open up our hands and let those things sink to the bottom, maybe at last, because they're just pulling us down. Mm -hmm. 
But I think the things that I have been surprised to see rise up is to see the, the people that are contending still for the gospel and contending still for hope. And not light, easy, like painted on a picture at Hobby Lobby kind of hope, but the kind of hope that is grieved, the kind of hope that has sat at hospital beds and polling mm. stations and riots and continued to pray, continued mm. to speak about goodness and flourishing and shalom and peacemaking instead of just peacekeeping. Those things have muscles and teeth and guts now in a way that I don't know that I understood when it was all theory in my head. Mm. I mean, you can live the gospel really beautifully in your brain. Yeah. And oftentimes it isn't until these apocalyptic moments that you realize, what does it mean to embody this? And I think that that embodiment is maybe what's being birthed because nobody can pretend anymore that the apocalypse hasn't happened and that we aren't completely revealed. So now what? Yeah. I don't know if that exactly answers your question. But... No, it's fine. I'll try to answer the question because um, you asked me to. But Again, I will say that's not how these work. But um, <laughs> again, that goes back to what you said. I don't even know if I was recording yet of like a bio on the website or whatever. Like, I just don't often find my opinion all that um, consequential. But what I would say from having these conversations in, in emails and private message, and um, sometimes people will say, hey, can I call you? I'm like, sure, here's my number. Call me at work. Let's talk. You know, is I honestly think something that has been dead, at least in the faith that I grew up in, is the ability to expect things to sometimes be really bad and expect them to remain bad. And I know that sounds awful, but I've come to realize so much of scripture is lament and is sitting in that lament. And I'll use something that I think a friend of the show, Mark Charles has said is, you know, you have to sit in that lament long enough that God shows up. You know, mm -hmm. you don't, you don't get out cause you're tired of being, upset about something. You just rest in it for as long as it takes. And I honestly think that's what I see coming to life. Like I, I'm seeing so many Christians my age and, and people of faith younger than me that are spending a lot of time in the prophets and in Amos and in all that stuff, mm -hmm. because it matters for the empire that at least I live in. You're on northern hemisphere of that empire, the northern <laughs> wall of the empire there. And so that's what I'm hopeful is in prayerfully coming back to life, the ability to be angry in a really holy way to help maybe partner together to bring shalom. I love that word shalom, to bring about peace and union and communion and reconciliation, or maybe just conciliation, because maybe mm -hmm. things weren't reconciled to, be, to begin with. But I have no idea also if that answers the question, but again, I'm supposed to ask the hard questions. You're not supposed to reflect them. That's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> it's okay if it's a conversation, Seth. That's totally fine. <laughs> I will say podcast, when you... You can have an opinion. <laughs> I not know. Yeah, so <laughs> fair enough. Um, when you said the Hobby Lobby version, I could not stop laughing because that's... My wife and I do like to go in the stores and some of their stuff is really nice. Like, I don't Listen, mind it. Listen, I'm not um, mad about my... All I need is Jesus and a coffee mug. I'm not mad about that. Do they have that? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, Somebody gave it to me once. Um, if my wife ever hears this, she'll get upset. But we have a thing that we got at Hobby Lobby that says, wash your hands, say your prayers, because Jesus and germs are everywhere. And all, and it's in the bathroom above the toilet, which I find the appropriate place for it. However, I know that that's going to cause some damage of later in life, maybe for me. 
I don't, I don't know, but just the concept. And it came from Hobby Lobby. And now I just laugh at it, but I'm really fearful for my kids and I can't take it off the wall because I'm married, you know, so. It, <laughs> to the social contracts, this is how it happens. <laughs> I, I, I can only win so many arguments a year and, and that one's not worth, that, that one's not worth winning. Um, I want to rip half of a sentence. I want to proof text half of a sentence from a different prayer. And so there's one, not too many chapters after that from Reverend Winnie, I don't know how to say her last name. Varghese? Varghese. Perfect. Perfect. She uses the word of, in in prayer, she says, you know, these days when I pray, I send all of my hopes and fears into the air over the Hudson River, trying to remain long enough for the language of praise to come to me naturally. What do you think is the language of praise? Like, what is that? Because that's a Mm -hmm. metaphor that I've never really considered. That is really good. I... Boy, I like she, Winnie is an incredible, incredible thinker and writer and very calming presence. If you ever have a chance to be around her, like just when you're around her, you just feel like, I don't know, you just remembered you're standing on the earth, if that makes sense. Um, where were you standing there? I don't know. Like, you know, how sometimes you can just get so caught up in whatever's going on. You forget like, oh, this is this is happening. You know, I think that. If I think about what the language of praise is right now for me, I mean, and again, this these things shift and you know evolve over your lifetime. But for me right now, I think it looks a lot like noticing particularity, mm. like paying attention, but not in a big grand like oh go love the world kind of thing, but like this particular thing about the world, these particular people, these particular moments. It feels like an invocation and a benediction all at the same time, sometimes for the presence of God mm-hmm. to love or notice or name those things that are bringing that sort of music and possibility and praise to us. I think a lot of times we can have a lot of baggage around some of those big churchy words like praise and worship and repentance and you know whatever else and i get it i mean i've grappled with them off and on for two decades it feels like right now but i still like to hang on to them and reinvent them reimagine them look at them a bit sideways and i think that uh, praise is that one you can do that with all right i want to zoom out you section this into orientation disorientation and reorientation. What am I orienting to? Am I orienting to God? Am I orienting to prayer? What am I orienting to? This is the fun part. I didn't tell anybody that. <laughs> <laughs> but see how cool You're this the is only now. You can notice this, Seth, but I didn't actually name what that was, and that was very purposeful. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because. I can't, I, again, the nature of a prayer circle and the nature of the invitation and the nature of the communal aspect of prayer to me meant that I wanted people to be able to bring their own interpretation and understanding of that mm. to what it was they were orienting and reorienting and, and, and disorienting towards. Because again, people can come to this space with that being scripture, with that being God, with that being their understanding of their place in the world. That can be their understanding of how they even um think and move through the world and so i think there's prayers for in each of those sections for however people are coming to that but Mm -hmm. i wanted to be really careful not to actually overburden the language too much for people but you're the only one who's actually noticed that so 
What do I do? I, what do I win? I win something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'll figure something out. I'm sure. Maybe something from Hobby Lobby. I'll let you know. <laughs> well, then you'll have to just send my wife the links because if I pick something from Hobby Lobby, it, it won't. It won't ever get hung up. So, um, I want to talk a bit about the prayer for all the so-called lost because. Honestly, I think that may be my favorite prayer. Am I allowed to read these? Yeah, absolutely. On the thing? So Emmy starts, Jesus, I am lost. They told me to follow you and I did to the edges, to the margins, to the humble and the grieving, to the oppressed and the slandered. And then I'll paraphrase and they call me lost instead. You know, so mm-hmm. I think that this specifically describes so many people that I know that like the more that I study, personally, and the more that I see other people study, I'm like, man, my God is so much bigger than he was. And you Mm -hmm. think that I've lost the point. And I don't know how to tell you the point was massive. And you're looking at a section Mm -hmm. of it. What are your thoughts on this prayer specifically? Because honestly, we could just print this prayer for 200 pages and just change the language. I know. You know, Emmy means a lot to me personally in my own story, but um, she actually wrote a book on these similar themes called One Coin Found. But in that prayer near the end, she was that she called it. Let me find the line here. It was like the forgotten. Here it is. Jesus in this congregation of the forgotten corner. I'm finding I'm not alone. We are the church of the still lost in the lost and found. So when you come, bring a satchel ready to collect what longs for home. Mm. And there's something about the imagery of that congregation of the forgotten corner that I think really like a church of the lost and found and those imageries of Jesus being that woman sweeping in every corner, looking for that lost, that last one was she called herself a quarter clinking around in God's dishwasher. Mm. Like the just I don't know where she comes up with this stuff. It's so brilliant. I mean, like you said, you could just read it over every night for a mm. month. Mm-hmm. And still find something new yeah. in almost every line of it. I think, too, like the other aspect of that prayer that I really loved is the connection of God knowing darkness and not being scared of it. Mm. That God is as comfortable there with us when we're in the congregation of the forgotten ones. Beautiful. Yeah, I have a good friend that um, is trying his best to show people darkness is equally holy as light. And mm-hmm. it's often in the darkness that's where new things get birthed. That's that's the mm-hmm. that's the womb of spirituality. Like that's that's where mm-hmm. things grow. Um, that's what, you know. Anyway, different topic altogether. So I buy the book. I sit down. I don't know what people's expectations are when they read a book on prayer. I think oftentimes people are thinking, "Oh, great, this is going to tell me how to pray in a way that I get that new job or whatever." And I had a similar reaction to this prayer as I did to um, Scott Erickson's most recent book on Advent, where um, I don't know if you've read that book or not. And if not, you should buy that book. Scott, do you know who Scott Erickson is? Yes, and I have not read it yet, but I... It's fantastic, it's but amazing. honestly, it's not a Lent book. Uh, it's not a Lent. It's not an Advent book. It's um, it's just, I don't know how to describe that book. But it you yeah. walk away from it and you're like, well, that's not what I expected. So what are you expecting that at the end of the book people close the chapter there's there's pages at least from what the kindle copy says where i can uh, take mm-hmm. notes and maybe journal some thoughts but what are you hoping at the end that people like set it aside and they're like okay now what right you know i think that there was part of me that really kind of liked the sneakiness of 
several aspects of this book. I think because, like you said, we have kind of this preconceived notion in our head of what we think a book about prayer, especially a book about prayer that's primarily written, that's exclusively written by women, um, and yet not, yet not marketed as exclusively for women um, or positioned that way. I think that sometimes we have this certain idea in our head of what this is going to look like. And I liked the subversiveness. I liked the surprise of it. I liked that there were moments in this book that would make people go, hang on a minute. Can you say that? (laughs) And so I, and yet other moments like in Emmy's prayer or um, another one that really meant a lot to me was Anuma Okoro's um, A Prayer for When We've Lost Our Way Again, Mm. which I found just very healing and honoring, I think, for the journey or the pathways that we found ourselves on. And so I think that the biggest thing I wanted at the end of this book, or if people are walking with this book, is for them to know that they get to pray. Mm. that it's not just for a particular kind of person or for you only if you have a lot of faith or that it's only if you can do it in this particular way that you were taught or that you imagine how really holy people do this. I wanted there to be a lot more people praying. I wanted people to feel like they could have permission to experience and name and embrace new pathways of prayer. And I think that just as I kind of like to reclaim language from, you know, maybe people who have co-opted it for certain, you know, own, you know, agendas, I really like the idea of that congregation of the forgotten ones being the ones who pray and being the ones who have that gift almost given back to them, reimagined. Uh, renewed surprise, maybe even like you were saying earlier, the thing with Nadia, the thing that you thought was dead, mm. and then there's unexpected resurrection. Yeah. And I think that at the end of this, I think a lot of people will hopefully experience some unexpected resurrection when it comes to their ideas of prayer, or at least the possibilities of it. We started with existential questions, and so um, we're coming close to the end of our time, so I want to give you an ability to do another existential question, because they're easier than the other questions, right? Why not? (laughs) When you say God or the divine or whatever word you want to call or use for God, what are you actually saying that that is? Mm. That is a very existential question. Is this another one I get to throw back to you after? (laughs) (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Although, although, Although I have answered it a couple times. Um, okay. Yeah, and honest, honestly, my answer keeps changing, which I think is okay. I think. Oh yeah. I think for sure. I think in a lot of ways, their answer should keep changing, or else you're not paying attention. Um, you know that that is a really good question. I think that I would name that or say that differently at different stages of my life, and sometimes at different moments of the day. Mm. Um, but probably my truest understanding when I think about um, God. And when I name God or when I'm thinking about what I'm talking about, it really is about love, which sounds maybe like the Sunday school churchy answer. But I think that I've had that so dismantled and reassembled in such a beautiful and life-giving and healing, expansive, weird, full sort of way that it holds all of it. And that sort of love is, I think, what's holding all of us. Mm, mm. Love it. Love it. Asking that question to everyone. So I've asked it. So I've had people on the show that have been Buddhist and sick. And I just love that answer. Like, I just love that question. Um, honestly, mm-hmm. I've learned more about the character of God from the answers to that question than some of the books that I've read. And I don't know why. And I can't put my finger on why. 
but I absolutely love it. So where on the internet or bookstore or where do you want people to go to do all things Sarah Bessie or the book or this is that part of the show that we get to say, here's where you go to do the things. Where is that? <laughs> you know what? Honestly, if people just go to sarahbessie.com, I mean, links for all my books and my newsletter. And if speaking ever happens again, that's schedules usually up there as well. <laughs> Social media, I'm just Sarah Bessie everywhere. I'm not that creative, apparently. So if you just go to sarahbessie.com, you'll find everything you're looking for, including an actual hardcover copy of the book, unlike my pages, which we have enjoyed this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm turning pages this whole uh, this whole interview, you're probably going to be not happy in editing. <laughs> no, it's going to be it's going to be fine. Sarah, I really appreciate it. Um, thanks for for rolling with my probably different questions than what you are most likely going to get as you do your podcast tour. Cause that's the world that we live in in COVID. So yeah, thanks so much. I really enjoyed having you on. Um, it's been a pleasure. I've, I've read your work from afar for many, many years. And so um, yeah, it's been a joy. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me to hear. I loved our conversation. So I will talk to you in a week, but I really want to say something different today. So find a practice of prayer that's new for you. There are many avenues and streams to dip into, but I will promise you if you can do that, God will get so big, not in an oppressive way. God will get so big in a way that you realize you were in a tiny creek wading in the water up to your ankles and you thought that was God and it's not. So find a new practice of prayer and intentionally try to do it every day. Let's see what happens. I pray that you're well, that you're blessed, that when you look back on each day, you find gratitude, you find things to question, that you document your lives mentally in a way that you're looking for joy expectantly. Because when you look for it, I promise you'll find it. Take care, everyone. Thank you.